0: Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back for a wonderful class, Power of the Parsha. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I appreciate you all for being here. It's a beautiful day outside. You could be doing anything you wanted, and you're here learning Torah with us. So, thank you so much for coming and being part of it. I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Partners Detroit and Shabbat Yehuda for enabling these classes for years and years and years now. They are amazing. Thank you, Yeshua Beth the Hauden Partners Detroit. And a big thank you to all the um, amazing people over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's got hundreds of thousands of hours of incredible Torah content, which you can download, peruse, enjoy, uh, absorb, and become greater through it. As a matter of fact, today we're going to be talking a little bit about how to build a nation of wise people, and part of it has to do with Torah Anytime. I also want to um, thank my brother Ozzy Burnham for having set me up on uh, Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and whatnot, so you can get all this stuff over there as well and enjoy it from there. Okay, let's get started. So this week, we actually want to, I want to cover a number of different things, um, so hopefully we're going to get time for all of them. Now, I want to contrast. I want to start off by contrasting. A major difference between this week's Parsha and last week's Parsha because they both start with a similar sort of message like, good things will happen um, or bad things will happen based on your decisions, which is awesome because I like to live in a world where we we believe in personal agency. We believe that what you do has a real effect on your life and your history and your future. And um, it's a very obviously very important concepts right now that we're talking about on, on, a, on a global level, individual agency and responsibility. But let's look at the very, very different way it's dealt with in Parshas Ekev, which was last week's Torah, Torah portion, and Parshas Re'eh, which is in this week's Torah portion. So here we go. Let's go back for a moment. Let's peruse back in time. And by the way, last week, the whole bit I had about eating meat and luxuries, that's all from this week's Parsha. it was a mistake. So, up, culpa, as they say, I am deeply uh, guilty, but please don't. Uh, and if you didn't know that yet, you're like, okay, fine, whatever. Okay, let's see it inside. Okay, let's go to last week's Parsha. And it will be, the reward will be when you hearken to the mishpatim ha'ela ushmartim v'asitim when you will hearken to these ordinances that Hashem gives us, and you will observe them, you will perform them. And Hashem will safeguard for you the covenant and the kindness that he swore to your fathers. Now I'm going to just start, I'm going to go off with the Hebrew, I'm just do English for a little bit. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. And he will bless the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your land, your grain, your wine, your oil, the offspring of your cattle, and the flocks of your sheep and goats on the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You will be the most blessed of all peoples. There will be no infertile male or infertile female among you or among your animals. Hashem will remove from you every illness and all the bad maladies of Egypt that you know. He will not put them upon you, but will put them upon your foes. You will devour all the people that Hashem, your God, will deliver. <laughs> I'm going to... everybody. Sorry, hold on a second. Okay, you will devour all the people that Hashem, your God, will deliver to you. Your eyes shall not pity them. You shall not worship their gods, for it is a snare for you. Okay, so that basically says... All kinds of amazing things will happen. And uh, that's going to be great. Okay?
1: Sounds pretty good. Now, hold on a second. Now, a little bit later
0: in, 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 the, in the verses, it says, and this is now, so we're in Parshish Akib again. We're going back. Now we're in Parak Ches Pasuk Yod
1: Aleph. Okay? Now it tells you what happens on the other side. No, uh, sorry. Give me one second. Let me find those verses. 8, 19. Here we go.
0: Yeah, here we go. And it will be... If you forget Hashem your God and go after the gods of others and worship them and prostrate yourself to them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish like the nations that Hashem caused to perish before you, so that you will perish because you will not have hearkened to the voice of Hashem your God. So basically Hashem lays it out in last week's Parsha. If you listen to God, if you hearken to the words of God... Right? Key word there, hearken. If you hearken to the words of God, it's going to be awesome. And you saw all the blessings, incredible blessing after blessing. He will love you. He will multiply you. You will not have any infertility. There will be incredible success. You won't have illness. You won't have have your oil, your grain, your wine. Everything will be so good. And if you don't, you will surely perish, all that stuff. So Kind of God is saying, like, listen, there's a cause and effect in this world. If you want to follow my plan, if you want to do what I'm asking you to do, if you want to sort of follow the the, the, the pathway that I'm laying before you, it's going to be awesome. And if you don't, it's going to be terrible. Okay, that's last week's portion. Now we move to this week's Parsha, Parsha's A. okay? Very similar in the beginning, but we're going to see it's actually quite different. Behold, I am placing before you today blessing and curse. The blessing is when you will listen to the words of Hashem your God that I command you today. And the curse is if you will not hearken to the commandments of Hashem your God. And you will walk away from the pathway that I'm taking you today to go after other gods. Okay, now, wait, hold on. Did you guys catch the curse or the blessing? I didn't hear anything about grain or oil or fetlings or flock or sheeps or ewes or goats. Did any of you catch the blessing? How about the curse? Did you hear anything about maladies and perishing? and enemies and all kinds of rashes hornets did you hear any what 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 was the curse did you catch that it's so interesting in last week's parsha, Hashem says if you listen to Hashem the words of your God and you hearken to my mitzvot and he gives you all this incredible list of blessings and then when it came to if you will not hearken it gives you some pretty terrible things and here it just says I'm giving you a blessing and curse The blessing is when you listen to Hashem, your God. The curse is when you don't listen, but theres I don't see the blessing. I I don't see the curse. You didn't talk about oil and wine and grapes and grain. You didn't
1: talk about perishing and being driven out. Where's the curse? Where is the blessing? And of course, the important lesson that the Torah is teaching you here, and this is such an important lesson, you know where the curse and the blessing are? Inside
0: of you. <laughs> the greatest blessing of following Hashem's way is that you are the blessing. The greatest, re- the greatest reward for living the proper life is but that you live the proper life. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. I can't believe it. Um, I won. I, what did you win? I won the proper life. How? By living the proper life wow, that's amazing. But it is. It is absolutely amazing. The greatest gift that you can get is becoming the person you want to be. I've got a daughter. I've got a lot of daughters, actually. I've got four daughters, and only one of them is listening from another room right now. So I better be careful with what I say. I've got a daughter who... She came to my wife and I a couple of weeks ago and she was relatively distraught. And she felt like she was really putting in a lot more in terms of preparing for Shabbos and cleaning up for Shabbos. And she probably was right. She's the one who does not wait to be asked. She's the one who does it because it needs to be done. And some of our other children need a little bit more
1: prodding, a little bit more help, a little bit more hadracha and direction. She just felt like she had put in all this time, all this effort, and and it wasn't being done by other people as well.
0: So she was very distressed. She had just worked and worked and worked to clean after Shabbos, and everyone else was just sitting around and reading. And when she asked them to help her, they're like, oh, whatever. It's not my job. So she came to us, and the the most important thing is we addressed her concern. I said, look, you're right. You're 100% right. We're going to set up a group of, we're going to actually put it, memorialize it on paper. We're going to very clearly delineate, especially i have got one daughter who's leaving Bar HaShem to, to go learn in seminary. So we're going from, a, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have one less child in the house by next year. We're going to definitely feel the void. It's going to be very, very quiet comparatively in this house with one less child. But that's kind of where we're at right now. But I said, you're right. And for next year, now that we have one less child in the house, we're going to make sure to write down exactly, very clearly delineate what everyone's job is. So you only need to do your job. You don't need to do anybody else's job. And if they're not doing their job, we can hold them accountable to it because it will be so clearly delineated what their job is. That being as I said, I said, but I want you to know something else. I want you to know something else. I said, the greatest reward that you get for being that that one person that just takes responsibility and says, I'm gonna make sure it gets done even if no one else is doing it, the greatest reward that you get for that is that you get to be that person. The greatest reward for being the person who always makes sure the job gets done is being the person who always makes sure the job gets done because that stays with you for life.
1: That becomes who you are. That becomes your reality. So I'm not trying to say that we're not going to take
0: care of the problem. We're going to take care of the problem. We're going to make sure your siblings are more involved. And again, by the way, thank God, all my kids, they're all involved in cleaning and preparing for Shabbos. It's not like, but whatever it was, definitely she was right. There was one that was putting in more than the rest. But like I said there, I said, just recognize the greatest gift you get, the greatest reward you get for being that person is being that person. And that will stand by you for the rest of your life. Hashem says, I'm putting before you blessing and curse. The blessing is that you live the blessed life, that you follow the mitzvahs of Hashem, that you do the right thing. That is the blessing. Not everything comes along with candies at the end. Not everything comes along with pralines and and, and cookies and candies and notes and, and reinforcement marks. Sometimes, The blessing of doing the right thing is doing the right thing. Hashem says to us, you want to know what the blessing is? The blessing is doing the right thing. You know what the curse is? The curse is doing the wrong thing because then you are a cursed person. If you're the kind of person who teaches themselves very early on in life to always shirk your responsibilities and always find somebody else to throw it onto, to always find some way to get other people to do what you're supposed to do. Okay, you may end up working physically less. But guess what? For the rest of your life, you're going to be that person. For the rest of your life, you're going to be that person who just doesn't get anything done and always finds someone else to do their job for them, but never gets to relish in the joy of feeling what it feels like to be an accomplished human being. The blessing is to be an accomplished human being. The curse is to be an unaccomplished human being. Do you want to be a golem? What's a golem? Not the golem of Prague, the mythical creature. The word golem comes from like an unformed, unmolded clump. If you do go to Prague, by the way, and you see all the golems, you know, in in Prague, obviously the golem is like a Jewish mythical story. Whether it happened or not is hotly contested. Um, Most people believe it was not. But if you go to Prague, they sell all the trinket stores over there. They sell like these golems, right? You can buy. I should, should have brought one here. I have, I have one here in my house for show and tell, right? And, and what does it look like? It just, it's just like a blob of a human, right? Very, very unformed, like a blob of clay, which is what the myth is that he was. He was made out of just a blob of dirt brought to life with God's mystical names. Do you want to be a blob
1: of unformed matter? There's a great way to do it. Don't do what you're supposed to do in life. Hold on. do what you're supposed to do in life and you could be an
0: unformed blob forever and ever that's right guess what you won the prize play foolish games win foolish prizes you found a way to shirk every responsibility ever thrown your way and you end up being a highly irresponsible human being thank you very much do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars the greatest blessing you could have is look back at your life and know what you accomplished, recognize what you've done, feel the weight and the power of what you brought to the world.
1: I heard an amazing story, by the way. It's an amazing story. And uh, I heard it from Rabbi Yoel Gold.
0: So I just wanna preface that I heard it from Rabbi Yoel Gold and he's got, if you can go look him up on, on YouTube. He's got amazing, amazing stories. The story goes like this. There's a rabbi named Rabbi Stephen Ammon. Who is a Sephardic rabbi, and I believe he is. He lives in um, in Deal, New Jersey, and normally his mother goes. His wife, I'm sorry, goes to the caver, the the, the uh, cemetery of her parents on Arab Rosh Hashanah. Many people have the custom to go to the cave of their the, the, the caver to the the tomb of their parents on Arab Rosh Hashanah. This year. The mother knew that she was not, for whatever reason, she was not going to be able to be there on Arab Rosh Hashanah. So it was a few weeks beforehand, and Rabbi Stephen Ammon and his wife are driving through Staten Island and the cemeteries in Staten Island. So Rabbi Ammon says to his wife, he's like, hey, you know what? Uh, we're here right now. The, the cemetery is right here. We're, we're, we got a little bit extra time because we're not going to, you know, we were going somewhere in Brooklyn, but we have some extra time. Maybe right now. Maybe you want to go in and and pray by your parents' uh, grave. If you know, you know that you're not going to be able to be there on Arab Rosh Hashanah this year, so maybe you want to go now. And the wife says yeah, that would be amazing. You know, thank you so much. I didn't think of that, but yeah, let's let's do that. So they pull off on the exit, and they go to the cemetery. And the cemetery is empty. It's the middle of a Wednesday afternoon, whatever it is. There's like no one there. And they go to Mrs. Ammon's parents' graves, and she starts davening. And the husband, David, a little, obviously, usually when you go to a grave, the person whose parents it is has a little bit more to say. So Rabbi Ammon finishes David, and he kind of looks around, and he notices a hearse pull up. A hearse pulls up with a few cars, just a very, very few cars. It's a small, small ceremony. And a bunch of people get out, and they look around, and they see that Rabbi Amon is there, and they call to him, hey, could you be our 10th man? We don't have a minion here. So he says, wow, of course, what, a, what an amazing, amazing coincidence. What an amazing opportunity. I happen to be here and you guys were exactly nine. You need 10 for the minion. Sure. So he comes over and they, 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 they lower the um, casket into the grave and they say Kaddish and they start to walk away. And he says to them, wait up, wait up guys, you guys didn't finish burying the, 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 the person here. And they're like, nah, whatever, like, you know, the, uh, the, the the shovel comes and does it, right? Cause like, you know, many people unfortunately have the custom that when someone passes away, they just, they have, they have a few people, you know that they, they bring out a little wheelbarrow with a little bit of dirt and all the people come and put a little mini, you know, shovel full of dirt on the casket. And then people just walk away leaving the casket left open there. And some dude from the, you know the, the, the grave diggers union comes with a huge, uh, you know, a huge tra- you know, a tractor and then just like drops down all the dirt on the grave. And that's, that's not the way anyone should be buried. That's not the honorable way. In Judaism, we have a tremendous amount of halacha about cover a about showing proper honor to the to the deceased. And we say that the most honorable way is for someone to be buried by people by loved ones. With my hand, not by some, you know, grave digger union guy with a big machine still just like knock it down. So he says to them, he's like, you know, this is your parent. This is, don't you, don't you want to be here? Don't you want to, you know, fill in the grave? And they're like, no, it's okay. We're going to go now, but don't don't, don't worry. They'll take it. They'll take care of it, rabbi. Don't worry, they say to him. But he remembers that he was in yeshiva and he learned about a halacha called a mitzvah. A mitzvah is somebody who dies and has nobody to bury them. And a mace mitzvah could be in a few different ways. There's a way where simply someone dies. Unfortunately, they're in a city that, that they don't know. The person's traveling to a different city, and they just die, and, and no one even knows who he was. Back in the day, that was much more common. You could have people who would die, and, and literally, like you know, some traveler comes to town, and he dies on the road into town, and no, literally, nobody even knows who he is. Like they don't, they don't know where he's from. They don't, they don't. Have, you can't search on the internet. You know, like today, you know, people. I got a WhatsApp message today. You know, the flight from DTW, Detroit, to LaGuardia yesterday at, you know, flight DL387, and, and somebody left their tefillin behind, and the name was Avram Nussin, whatever, like, and like, that's, Baruch Hashem, today in the Jewish world, we find, you know, a person can leave their tefillin on a flight, and Baruch Hashem, he can easily find it, because it just starts spreading throughout all the Jewish world on their WhatsApps and whatever, and before you know it, the, the person gets its tefillin back, but back then, a person can literally die. And No one knows who he is. Yeah, okay, they look at his film bag. And the film bag, if it I don't know if those days they had the embroidery names, but even be had a film bag, it says Avram Shapira, I know Moshe Gold Goldberg. Like no one knows who he is. So you have a mitzvah a mace mitzvah, but there's also another kind of mace mitzvah. There's a a, a mace mitzvah again, which means a, a a mitzvah corpse. There's a mitzvah corpse who has relatives, but the relatives don't want to bury them. It's too expensive, it's too much money, it's too much effort. And this, this rabbi, Rabbi Stephen Ammon, remembered learning in yeshiva that it's also considered a mes mitzvah if you see a body who the family is there, but they don't want to bury him. So he says, wow, this is an opportunity for me to do a mes mitzvah. A mes mitzvah is incredible, incredible chesed. It's an incredible kindness. First of all, any kindness we do for the dead is called a chesed chal emes, a kindness of truth, because you're never going to get repaid for that truth. You're never going to get repaid for that. So it's like an incredible opportunity to do a mitzvah that you're not expecting anything back in return you're not expecting any chesed back in return because the person's already dead and on top of that the mace mitzvah is such an important mitzvah that even a kohen gadol even a high priest who is a nazir who is this like the most the person who's most not allowed to come in contact with a dead body right he's a kohen gadol and he's a nazir and he sees a mace mitzvah and he sees a dead body that no one's there to bury he has to bury it even though it means he's going to become ritually impure because we so much value, the dignity and the honor of those who've died to make sure they get a proper burial. So Rabbi Stephen Ammon, he sees the, the family turns away, they get back into
1: the into the, you know, the limos that come along with the, um, you know, with the, with, from, from the funeral home and they go back on their way. So he says, I'm gonna do this myself. He goes over to the guy from the gravediggers union.
0: He says, listen, if you don't mind, can I, can I do your job? Just give me a shovel. I'll do your job. I'll make sure it gets filled in. He goes like, all right, whatever you want. Sure. And he gives him a shovel. And Rabbi Ammon was not a young man at this time. And I've done this before. I One of the, one of the things when I came to Detroit and I, you know, before I came to Detroit, when I was not in the, in the rabbinical world, I barely, barely ever went to funerals, maybe, you know, one a year or something like that. I was involved, you know, in certain organizations that exposed me to some people who passed, but, I, you know regular I didn't go to many funerals but when I came here and I started working as a rabbi and partners I started going to a lot more funerals and that was sort of one of the things that I said when I first came here I really want to make sure to focus on this mitzvah, this mitzvah of Mitzvah making sure that everyone who is buried is buried properly and I, I, there was once a time I remember where the same exact thing happened um, and it just it was actually me and, 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 and a reform rabbi okay and we were the only two left behind. I, I said I'm going to stay here and do this as long as it takes and the reformer said, I'll keep you company. I said, you want to help out? He says, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I'm already older than you. You, you do the shovel work. Now, let me tell you, it is not easy. It is not easy to bury the, the amount of earth they pull out for a casket. So figure it's maybe three feet by, because the casket itself maybe I, I don't know exactly the sizes, but I figured that the, the hole they dig is a pretty standard size. It's probably somewhere around like three feet by eight feet. And it's like six, you know, it's like eight feet deep, probably, you know, it's a lot of dirt. And depending on whether the dirt is uh, wet, depending on whether the dirt is clingy, depending on whether the dirt is soft, it it really makes a big difference in terms of how long it takes. It can take a tremendous amount of effort and amount of time to fill in this dirt. So Rabbi Ammon is sitting there. He has no idea who this guy is, but it's a yid and he's going to take care of him. And he's a mace mitzvah. And his wife is davening anyway. I mean, but she, by now she's done. She comes over and he's sitting there with a shovel and he's every single shovel full of dirt. He does it and he does it and he does it. And eventually, he, um, eventually he fills up the entire thing. Takes him about an hour or plus. Okay. And, um, Marilyn, by the way, when you say he was sent there to make the minion, when you say the same thing happened to you, Rabbi Ammon was by your mother's funeral? No, someone else, some other person did that by your feet. I'd like to, if you can give me some more information about what you're referring to. So now when he's finally finished, he figures now there's a little marker that has the name of the person. So he's put a lot of effort into this person. I mean, First of all, it was amazing that he happened to be there to be able to make the minions so they could say Kaddish. And then the fact that he ended up being the person who spent an hour properly showing this guy his final dignity in the world, he he was curious to see who is this person. So there's a little marker, like a little peg with a marker with the name. So he writes down the information and he decides I want to um, I, I want to I want to be able to uh, figure out who this is. So he goes home and he makes a phone call. He's making a phone call to a p- few people now. One of the people he makes a phone call to is the late Rabbi Herman Neuberger. Rabbi Herman Neuberger was an incredible incredible rabbi. He was the the uh, I guess the dean, the executive director of Yeshivas Ner Yisrael for many, 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 many decades. He was a man who was connected so well, uh, politically respected across the aisle, a man who led a massive yeshiva for, for decades and was known throughout America for his communal efforts and acumen, like just a giant, a giant of a man. Now Rabbi Stephen Ammon had gone to Ner Yisrael. So he called up Rabbi, Rabbi Neuberger, and he said, Rabbi Neuberger, do you by any chance know this name, right? Do you recognize this name? Because just like I, I know you know so many Jews from all over America,
1: and I figured maybe, maybe you know this is.
0: Rabbi Neuberger says, wait, wait, repeat the name again? So he repeats the name. Rabbi Neuberger says, I, I, I can't believe it. What, what can't you believe? He says, do you remember how you came to yeshiva? Rabbi Ammon says, yeah, Rabbi Ammon grew up in Seattle. The family had no money. And when he, his father wanted him to go learn Yeshua, they didn't have any money. So Rabbi Neuberger said, let's get him here. We'll figure it out. I'll find somebody who will support your son's Torah. So his family saved up, they saved up $300 for a one-way ticket from Seattle to to Baltimore, which in those days was, was a fortune of money, right? We're talking about 45, 50 years ago, $300 was a lot of money, Right. And his family, all they could afford, they couldn't even afford a round trip ticket. All they could afford was a one-way ticket. But they so deeply wanted their son to go learn in yeshiva, they said, son, we're going to put you on a plane. He was 14 years old at the time. They put him on a plane. And Herman Neuberger starts walking, trying to find somebody who will support this boy. Who will support this boy's Torah learning? So he reaches out to different people he knows, various donors of yeshiva. And he says, look, I've got an opportunity. I've got this boy who came here to study from Naira His parents are committed to Torah education, but they don't have the funds necessary. He's a dedicated, he's a wonderful boy. Would you like to take him as your sponsorship?" And indeed, one man said, you know what? I will pay for his time in yeshiva no matter how long it takes. I'll pay for his time.
1: I'll pay for some flights for him to go back home and visit his family. And that was the exact man that Rabbi Stephen Ammon had just buried. Amazing. The good you do in the world, the good you do in the world comes back around, but not because you demand it, because you become the blessing.
0: The person who supported Rabbi Stephen Ammon for all these years, Rabbi Stephen Ammon would not have even known his name. He would not have even known his name if not for this story that happened decades later. He was just being a good person because he was just
1: being a good person. And Hashem ended up making it, that it all came back around. Amazing, amazing. And just for the record, we have somebody right
0: here on our Zoom right now that said the same thing happened by her mother's funeral, that suddenly he was there to make the minion and he made sure they buried her properly, which incredible. David Klein, let's say, let's say his name, David Klein. He's a man, he's a plumber here. He's a very strong, very opinionated, very wonderful, wonderful guy. And I could just totally see him here. Let's do this. We're gonna, he, would, he would not allow uh, you know,
1: a, a, a backhoe to cover over somebody. So think about that. The blessing of being a good person is being a good person. You don't need any
0: sweets. No medals necessary. No gold, no bronze, no silver. The blessing of being a good person is the bracha. You are a good person. Which is why the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos says, in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 4, Mishnah 2, it says, Ben Azai Omer, Ben Azai says, mitzvah Run to pursue a minor mitzvah like a big one and run away from all sins. Shem mitzvah, goreras, mitzvah, bavera, goreras, avera. because a mitzvah will bring another mitzvah, and a sin will bring another sin, which means when you are the kind of person who's good, actively seeking out good, you'll get more opportunities to do good. The world will manifest what you're looking for. If you're looking to do good, Hashem, the world will manifest. <laughs> I don't want, God forbid, ever anyone think of a... Most- among the Avodah Zarah cult that believes that you can manifest things through your own properties and through saying things. HaKadosh <laughs> Baruch manifests for you. Hashem has set up the world for you that when you do good, Hashem will give you more opportunities to do good. He's like, oh, look at my son. He likes to do good. Let me give him more opportunities to do good. And if you decide to go the other way and do bad, Hashem will give you another trend. You'll just stumble further. The, 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 the punishment for stumbling is just more stumbling. The sadness, the patheticism of a human being just stumbling his way through life, falling and scraping and falling and scraping and falling and scraping and asking himself, why can't I just get up and falling and scraping? It's so sad to see somebody going through the throes of that experience. And then it continues the Mishnah, Sheshachar, Mitzvah, Mitzvah. The reward of a Mitzvah is a Mitzvah and the reward of a transgression is a transgression. Now you can see it as one of two ways. The first way is you're saying the reward of mitzvah A is that you get to do mitzvah B, right? What greater thing is there in the world than doing mitzvahs? So you can give me a Rolls Royce or you can give me the ability to do more mitzvahs and impact the world positively more. I would hope that I'll pick the positively impacting the world more
1: every day. Just last night, I had a conversation with somebody. Just last night, I was having a conversation with somebody about the following. We were talking about... might be a little bit, it does bring back a little bit of our conversation from last week. We were
0: talking about luxuries, right? And the people living with luxuries. And if you have the money, if you don't have the money, but he was mentioning how, even if he doesn't have the money, this person, um, he knows a doctor, a cardiac uh, surgeon, who's an Indian from India. And this man, he's very, very successful. He does very, very, very well. But he still, you know, when he flies back to India, which is a long flight, he still flies in coach. Now, this man has an orphanage that takes in children. And he says, basically, it costs him $10,000 US to take a kid who's an orphan. And each child, over the course of his stay at the orphanage, between classes and school and clothing and food and board, over the course, he taken an orphan around six years old, seven years old, each orphan will cost about ten thousand dollars, which is very, very cheap. I mean, that's but it's in India, so I could fly first class. I have the money to do it. That's one less child that will be in my orphanage.
1: The reward of doing a mitzvah is that you become the kind of person who thinks in those ter- terms. Ten thousand dollars, <laughs> you could
0: support you could support a person in Kolo for twenty thousand dollars. Again, it's not he's not going to be living a, li- a life of luxury. We're talking Eretz Yisrael. Ten thousand dollars. Whatever it is, you, you can you could have a you could have you could you could you could do so much. And the reward of a mitzvah is being able to do more mitzvahs. So that's one way of looking at it. If you do mitzvah A, Hashem will reward you with the opportunity to do mitzvah B. I'd so much rather mitzvah B over a Rolls-Royce. I'd so much rather be able to save more lives, support more people, bring more good into the world over just a nice car. But the other way of looking at it is that the reward of the mitzvah A is mitzvah A. You've got to become a better person. The word mitzvah comes from the word safta, which means togetherness. What does that mean? When you do a mitzvah, you feel connected to God. When you do a mitzvah, you feel connected to Hashem. Hashem, we can't see him. We can't smell him. We can't touch him. We can't taste him. So how do we relate to him? The way you relate to someone, we talked about this earlier this week, love equals, remember Noah Herlow used to say, love means... What's important to you is important to me. Again, love means what's important to you is important to me. So for Hashem, Hashem says, if you want to love me, if you want to feel connected to me, here's a list of things that are important to me. Keep Shabbos, keep kosher, give a lot of charity, pray to me, right? Talk to me a couple of times a day. That's meaningful to me. Honor your parents. Don't eat creepy crawly bugs. <laughs> Don't eat pork. Uh, Where sits this? bake challah and make a special blessing and separate the challah out. All these different things that Hashem says, this is what it takes. If you want to feel me in your life, if you want to be connected with me, mitzvah from the word savta, togetherness. You want to feel together, you want to feel connected to God? That's what it takes.
1: The blessing for being good is being good. Do you need anything more than that? You know, recently I was at an event and it was a fundraising event, and the the people who, who made the event they had a beautiful spread on the table. Like we're talking about, beautiful
0: spread, all kinds of little fancy dishes and mousse cups and little miniature, you know, truffles and torts and like oh, there was and there was a salad, there was fruit salad and regular salad. It was a very very beautiful, very very lavish spread. So first there was a speaker, and then, and then there was time where you can go around and eat. I see a large crowd in one order, one corner of the room. I'm like, what's going on over there? What, what are they serving over there? Like here, they got all these cakes, desserts. Maybe there's a carving station over there, right? Maybe they're carving up some fresh hot salami, some sorry, some hot pastrami. Maybe they even got like a lamb shank they're carving up. What, what's going on over there? What, what's that whole crowd? I go over to that crowd, and what's the crowd? They're crowding around Rabuti Bast, the Rosh Shiva of Yeshiva Gedola over here in Detroit, who is an incredible, incredible Talmud Chacham, incredible tzaddik, and, and being in his presence is incredible. It feels amazing, it's electrifying. He is such an, he's, his whole face, his whole demeanor, he radiates warmth and love and respect of everybody. And people were just crowding around him to hear what he had to say. Crowding around him. To, you could see whenever he walks home, he's got bacharim, young men, crowding around him, talking to him. Because he's just, filled, he's overflowing with joy and, 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 and serenity. And you feel it. And that's just the Talmud Chacham, which is a, a fraction of what Hashem is. Of course, it is a fraction of what Hashem is. That's why the Chazal says, the famous Kumara Acha Bara Bekiva Badarsh S Hashem Kekatira Larabos Hamiri Kachamim Rabakiva came along in darshin. You shall fear Hashem your God. S with the word S. What does the word s come to include? It comes to include Torah scholars. And Hashem says, Mora Rabka Kamara Shamayim. And sorry, and 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 and, and in Pirkables it says, Rebelazar Ben Shamua says, Ye he quote Khaver Tamidekhabala Kesha, you should treat your students like your own honor. But quote, Khavercha Kamara Rabcha, you should have respect for your friends like you would respect your rabbi umora rabbi and the fear of your of your rabbi should be like your fear of heaven because they are conduits of godliness in this world and i can't be i can't feel so much my connection to god but i can feel my connection to these great rabbis and when i spend time in their presence i feel the beauty i feel the joy i feel the enthusiasm i want to be in their presence if you want to be in God's presence, do mitzvahs. The bracha of doing mitzvahs is mitzvahs. You get to be a person who's connected to God. You look at people, by the way. Look at people who are steeped in mitzvahs and Torah. They're happy people. You see it on their faces. I'm so kina so from Tarbah chachma, right? The Sages tell us that when you're, you're you're jealous of good people, it increases wisdom. When you're jealous of scribes, it increases wisdoms. There's people on my block. There's people on my block who are just Sadiqim and, and I see them, and I, I see the serenity of their faces, and it's like, I, I just that's what I want. I don't want a Rolls Royce. I, I don't. I don't care. I want to be that person. I want to have that blessing in my life. So the first idea we learned today is the reward for being a blessed person is being a blessed person. And we should be able to just revel in what that means and what that is, and hopefully seek to achieve
1: it and hopefully achieve it. That is idea number one. Now we move to idea number two. In this week's parsha, there is a pasuk. Deuteronomy 12 19 and Devaram
0: Yudbez Yudes. The Pasuk says, He be very careful, pentazov es Halevi. Do not neglect the Levite. All your days on your land. Okay? All your days on your land. So, this is a mitzvah. It's actually, it's counted by the Sefer Achinuch, The Sefer Achinuch, the book of education, was a book written anonymously in, in, in Spain in the 1100s, I believe. And um, anything, uh, he says that it's mitzvah number 450, which is amazing because we're towards the end of Deuteronomy and there's still... There's still plenty, there's still 163 mitzvahs left, which is wild, okay? I just want to point out also, by the way, um, my mother, who's on this Zoom, she said, Rebar Sarotskin, one of the great, great rabbis who's founders of Tel's yeshiva in America, he used to say, anything you can put off to tomorrow, do today. Anything you can delegate to others, do yourself. That's the recipe for self-growth and self-expansion. If you want other people to expand and other people to grow, just give them, give, give it to them, throw it off on them. Now, the Midchas Chinuch, sorry, the Sefer Chinuch, the Book of Education, is a beautiful, beautiful work, famous work, and it goes through all 613 commandments. And for each mitzvah, it tells you why it is, how it is, how it applies, and so on and so forth. And I want to read to you the straight text of this mitzvah, mitzvah 450, because it is so beautiful. I'm going to probably just start off a little bit of the Hebrew, and then we'll go to English. Okay, Mitzvah nun Mitzvah 450. We were warned, do not neglect the Levite. And make sure that they get all that they're supposed to get, the various gifts that they're supposed to be given from Jewish agriculture. There's certain tithes that we're supposed to give to the Levite. And, and you got to be very careful. Do not, do not neglect to give it to them, and do not be late to give it to them. Because if you're late, you're eating your food, but he's sitting starving. So be very careful. You make sure that you bring to the Levites that which is coming to them right away, and do not neglect them. And so much more so when it comes to the holidays, that we are extra commanded to take care of the Levites at the time of the various holidays, And there's a custom to to this day in in the Jewish people that many people will send a check um, to their rabbi around the holidays, around Sukkot time, around Pesach time. Some people do it around Hanukkah time. So here we see a a, a source directly from it. The the Sefer Achilles is saying that there's a mitzvah, especially besides just the the miser that you give, the tithe that you give, make sure that you take care of the Levites uh, on the holidays because we are uh, given a commandment to make sure the Levite is happy on the holidays. And on this, we have the verse that says, Be very careful. Do not neglect the Levite all your days that you live on your land. Okay. And now I'm going to read the translation because it's, it's long and it's poetic and it's beautiful. And it's just, it's just, if you like the Hebrew, please go ahead and, and, and look at it inside. It's the minchas, it's sever mitzvah Okay. It is from the roots of the commandment that it is because Hashem, blessed be he, wanted the good of his people Israel, that he chose his the people, the people, the Jewish people, and he wanted to give them merit and to make them a paragon in the world, in his world, a wise and understanding people, in order that all who see them would recognize them as the seed of the blessed God, men of truth and men of repute. So, so far we're starting off where he's saying, Hashem wanted that the Jewish people should be a paragon amongst the nations, known for their wisdom, known for their truth, known for their reputation. And it was in this, and in in that, this was his will, may he be blessed, he brought counsels from afar, basically Hashem has his wisdom, which is like wisdom far, far away from our understanding, to cause for their occupation to be in wisdom, and that they would be pouring over it every day. Hashem wanted to ensure that the Jewish people would have people who would be sitting and studying all the time. He wanted the Jewish people to be a wiser nation than everybody else. And so he steered them and arranged proper and pleasant customs and dear and strong moors in order that they learn to know God from their small ones to their great ones. And their seed would stand and their name would be preserved forever. So basically Hashem is saying, I want to make sure to set up the world in such a way that the Jewish people will be a wise and understanding people, a paragon of virtue amongst the nations, and I want to make sure they'll be around forever and ever. And from the statutes that strengthened and supported the wisdom among them was for there to be one entire tribe among them without a portion and inheritance in the lands, right? Hashem said, if I want to make sure the Jewish people are always going to be wise, I'll make sure there's one nation that does not get a portion in the land of Israel and that it not go out into the field to plow and to seed and to dig wells to water their fields. And all this was to be a cause for it to spend its time, no matter what, to study the wisdoms and to understand the straight ways of Hashem. And they would teach its judgments to their brothers in each and every country and all the cities. Basically, Hashem says, how are we going to ensure that there's one, a nation of of, of learners and growers? We're going to have an entire tribe who does not get a piece of real estate because if they're busy with the real estate, they'll be busy all day planting, seeding, watering, harvesting. I want them to have time to sit and learn. So we're going to have one tribe that does not get a land, does not get a portion in the land of Israel. And instead, they are scattered throughout the land of Israel in 48 cities, dotting the whole country. And this way they will sit in their cities and they will study Torah and they will teach it to the people around them. Amazing. So the farmers get educated by the people that are studying, and the people that study get super educated by studying Torah all day. And from this foundation, the double warning came to all of Israel in this verse. Sorry, I missed a, chat, a paragraph. And therefore, in that this tribe is selected, the tribe of Levite, it and its seed forever for the occupation of wisdom and understanding, and that all of Israel will see, will therefore need to seek Torah from their mouths. Where do we get Torah from? We get it from the, t- the mouth of the Levium, Agree with their opinions and follow their counsel and everything that they teach them. It was from his will that their brothers provide them all their sustenance lest their wisdom get swallowed up due to the lack of their portion. Again, here, it's amazing. It's saying Hashem says, to me, it's so valuable that people should be sitting and studying Torah. And in order for that to happen, I know that I'm gonna gonna not give them their normal abilities to earn money. Again, back in the day, 2000 years ago, 90% of people were farmers. So most people were earning their money from the ground, but they didn't have ground. The Levites were not given real estate. They were not, they were given small cities. They weren't given huge tracts of land like all the other tribes because Hashem desired that the Jewish people should support their scholars, that the Jewish people should support the wise people among them, and then in return, get the favor of the wise people teaching them Torah. It's creating a beautiful relationship. We support scholarship, and scholarship supports us by educating us. And by the way, of course, this worked in the sense that the Jewish people were the most educated of peoples for generations, for centuries, for, for, not, for millennia.
1: For millennia,
0: the Jewish people were the most educated nation in the world. And from this foundation, the double warning came to all of Israel in this verse: He be careful and pen, do not lest that they not forsake and not be negligent at all in all of their matters. And it is mentioned about them as a warning of the land. It says it says, He pen, as I was a lady. Call Ya Mecha, all your days on the land to say, be very careful with them, with the Levites, because your inheritance to the land, but they don't have land. You are sitting on your land; they weren't given their land. But Hashem is going to fend for them, and Hashem is the one who brings bounty to the land. So it's saying, guys, recognize that God valued there being people studying Torah all day and teaching it to the masses. God valued that so much that he took an entire tribe of the Jewish people and denied them their normal occupation of most people at the time and instead instructed you to take care of them and sustain them because they're going to be the ones who teach you. And remember, you're on the land. They're not. But Hashem controls how bountiful the land is. So make sure you don't forget about him. This means to say, do not think to be proud in front of it because of your inheritance of the land as it 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 is the master. So Hashem says basically, Hashem's in charge, and Hashem's going to take care of those who take care of the people who are teaching everybody wisdom. But the way, the, I find it so beautiful, the way the Sefer Achinoch describes this whole process. Basically that Hashem wants us to be a special people, and therefore he set it up that there should be people studying Torah full-time, and not be given the ability to work in the field. Because as soon as we're busy working, it's very, very hard to go back and study full-time. Just this week. Just this week. I went to partners on Tuesday night, and someone said, "Rabbi, can I please talk to you?" I said, "Sure." At that point, I had to run out to go down mincha first. I said, "I'm going to come
1: back. I'll come over to you." So I come over to him. I come over to him, and he says to me, "Rabbi,
0: I just visited my brother. My brother lives in X and you know X, Y, and Z place, and there's so many Jews living near him." that are living on government dole and just studying Torah all day. And what's wrong with them? Why why aren't they self-sufficient? Okay?
1: So I I said, let's first, let's go through a few things. Number one, is your brother deeply troubled by all the people in this country that are living on welfare and are not doing anything? Is he deeply troubled by that or is
0: he deeply troubled by the Jews who are doing that? That's the first important question we have to ask ourselves. Because if you're more bothered by them, if that's the ones who are itching you, the Jews, then that's a very, very different thing. And, and, and let's remember also, unfortunately, unfortunately, again, this is a sad reality. There are many people right now in America who are living off of government programs, not people who worked their whole lives and now are living on Social Security, you know, Medicare. I'm talking about, unfortunately, many people who are living, you know, they've got back problems or whatever it is, you know, you know they go to a doctor, they get the right scripts and they're living off of SSI and, and, and social security and, and, and section eight. And people could live very, very comfortably without doing anything, unfortunately. Now, unfortunately, there are many of them that are just really kind of sitting around watching TV, you know, um, eating, you know, garbage foods and just you know, really just, it's really, really unhealthy for them. It's incredibly unhealthy for them, right? The fact that the government does this and allows us for people in such a non-discriminatory way, when I say discriminatory way, I mean, I mean, without determining whether or not someone really, really needs this, we're hurting a lot of people, right? We're hurting a lot of people because we're taking away from them, their ability to be what they're supposed to be in the world, which is Adam Lama Yulad, man was built for toil. And when you don't toil and you don't work for your livelihood and you don't work for your living, you're not, you don't And especially if you don't do anything else. If you're doing nothing, you're sitting around. The Gemara says that sitting around boredom, boredom leads to two things: sexual immorality and insanity. And we look at America today, and wow, we can check off both of those boxes, right? Our our morals in the areas of intimacy are off the rails, off the rails in terms of what's moral and what's not. Right? What we're showing children in schools today but we're showing children in the name of education. Ch- we're showing children, unfortunately, pornography. It's, it's, it's just crazy. So many schools have, like, have adopted these things where in the name of educating teacher children about various things. I mean, there was, there was a, a, a woman recently in, in one of the most prestigious schools in New York who was showing her children in, in younger high school grades all about the different genres of pornography including
1: incest and just crazy crazy stuff. So in that we can check off we're definitely there. And on the other hand in terms of insanity, America right now,
0: the percentage of people with mental health issues, anxieties and depressions and we're we're just you know unfortunately so many Americans are just sucking down medications that we're not well. We're not well, and a lot of that is because we're not doing what it takes to be well. Again, I I, I wanna differentiate. I'm not talking about A, people who have worked their whole lives and are now retired. I'm also not talking about people who are really, really unable to work. So that's number one. Number one, I, I said, I would love for you to see the difference in the life between a person, a standard person who's living off the government dole and a colo person. Person is sitting and studying Torah, because the Rambam, Maimonides says very clearly that today, when we talk about Shevet Levi, this whole beautiful thing that Menachos was talking about, Sefer Chinoch was talking about, how God wanted the Jewish people to be a wise pe- people, and therefore He set up the system that we should be supporting those who are learning Torah full time. The Rambam talks about how today the tribe of Levi represents those of noble spirit who dedicate themselves and their time to learning Torah full time. Now, I say to them, I wish you could see the difference between what, what you would call you know, like someone who's just living off of government dole and these people. A person in colo wakes up at 6.45 in the morning, leaves his house at 7.15 a.m. to go to Shoal. Davins from 7, gets to Shoal at 7.25, puts on his towels and smelling carefully. At 7.30, he starts davening. He davens for an hour until 8.30. Then he comes home. He helps his wife get the kids out to school. He comes back, he starts learning at 9.30 a.m. He learns from 9.30 a.m. to 1.00 p.m. Then he has a two-hour break, maybe he has Davin's Mincha, Daven's afternoon services at 1.00 p.m. At 1.15 he has a break where he often comes home and has lunch with his family if, if they're home, lunch with his wife if she's home, and then he goes back and he sits and learns for, from 3.00 p.m. to 7.00 p.m., comes home, finishes up dinner with the kids, puts the kids to bed, comes back to learn from 8.30 to 10, Dobbins Meyer by 10 till 10.15, and then often stays and learns more. Compare that to the life of somebody, you know, living just off the standard government dole. What time do they wake up? What, whatever, you know, uh, I don't know, like whenever we wake up, you know rolls over you know it, 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 it's a it's a different life i'm not going to delineate exactly the life of a person doing nothing living off of government
1: dole but i can assure you it just looks nothing like that life how important is it, it is for us to support torah
0: how important is it for us to recognize that god in his wisdom set up that there would always be people in the torah world in the jewish world sitting and learning Torah, and he implored us to support them and said, don't think that your land is your land. Your land is my land. I'm the one who gives you blessing. And I'm the one who wants to see Torah expansion. I'm the one who wants to see people dedicating themselves to the study of Torah.
1: And v'ruh Hashem, we live at a time right now where there's incredible wealth in the Jewish people. And we're able to do it easily. Be very careful
0: as a levi, lest you forget, pentaza was a levi, lest you neglect the Levite. Call your mechal while you're sitting tight and pretty on your land. Recognize that the wealth that God gives you. He gives to you with the intention that you should give a very significant portion of it to those who are spending their days, as the Sefer Akhilah said, days where people are spending their days pouring over. The, the works of the Torah, spending their days studying the wisdoms and understanding the straight ways
1: of God and teaching its judgments to their brothers in every country and every city. This is what we're about. This is what the Jewish people are about. This is what we're so proud of. And by the way, if anybody here thinks, oh, it's so easy,
0: you just try it. You try learning Torah for eight hours a day. If you can do it for a week, Okay. If you can do it for a week, I'll give you $500. <laughs> you got that? Anybody who's watching this, if you're not sitting in colo and you think that colo is so easy, all these people are studying Torah is so easy, I'll be happy to get the mitzvah. If you spend eight hours a day for a week, they, they go to school, they go to Kola on Sunday too. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, that's five days. On Friday, you could leave, at, you could do four hours, okay? If you can do that, I'm happy to pay you five hundred dollars. Make sure you look me up. I'll, I'm happy to give it to you. It ain't easy. I'm not worried about you being a run on my money suddenly, and everyone calling me up demanding five hundred dollars. It is not easy at all. It's heroic when people are ready to dedicate themselves to study Torah and study God's ways, saying, "I don't need the land. I don't need the real estate. I'm going to eschew the ability to make a lot of money. I'm going to uh, yes, I could be doing so, bar Hashem. There's so much wisdom in the Jewish people when they set their mind to make money." We're really good at it, but these people say, I I don't need the Rolls Royce. I don't need the luxury car. I don't need the luxury foods. I'm gonna dedicate my days to getting to know God better and teaching his statutes to other. And we should salute them. They are the heroes. They are the front line. They are the most essential workers in the Jewish, Jewish people. And that's how we have to look at those incredible, incredible people who spend their lives, the modern day Levites who spend their lives getting to know God and getting to know his wisdom and teaching it to the rest of us. Thank you all so much for coming and thank you for being awesome.